2: G'day and welcome to the News Meeting, the podcast that brings you into the newsroom to hear the arguments that happen in meetings just like this. Every day. I'm Ed Balls, former cabinet minister, former shadow chancellor, now a regular presenter on ITV's flagship breakfast show Good Morning Britain. In this episode of the news meeting, three journalists are each going to pitch the story they think mattered most this week. Then together, we're going to make sense of that story, interrogate it. And at the end, it's my job to try to make a judgment about what the running order should be. So from Podomo and Tortoise, this is the news meeting. great to be in the editor's chair while James Harding is away. Back to journalism for me. I started at the Financial Times in the early 90s, back on um, TV Now doing journalism on Breakfast TV. But of course, for 20 years in between, I was actually in politics at the Treasury, an MP, a Cabinet Minister. And uh, in government and in opposition, I came to see that what people care about is hugely shaped by what they are reading and seeing on the television. The judgments made in this newsroom shape people's perceptions and then the forward policy debate. So what we're deciding here is going to be really important. To pitch their three stories, we've got three journalists. First of all, Mark and Andrew, who organises all the live events at Tortoise. He's become a regular on the news meeting, and his story came second last week. Congratulations. I'm still riding the high. <laughs> Liz Mosley is an editor at Tortoise. She's worked for The Times, The Telegraph, Heat and L magazine, currently top of the leaderboard with more top stories than anyone oh, else. Oh, no,
0: no, please. Can Don't... she keep it going this week? <laughs> who knows?
2: The only way is down. <laughs> and then Claudia Williams is a reporter who presents Tortoise's Daily Sensemaker podcast. Her story ran second last time on her debut but she's back and back can she win it I'm
1: coming for Liz
2: (laughs) so before we get to the stories here's a quick reminder of what's happened this week
3: might be strongly tempted to imagine that we're making this next item up. Sue Gray.
1: Sue Gray. Sue Gray. Gray. Let's just tell you a little bit more about Sue Gray. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'd like to thank Sue
3: Gray. Former Prime Minister Boris Johnson has recommended his own dad for a knighthood in his resignation honours list.
1: The RMT union has suspended strikes at Network
0: Rail in response to a new pay offer. This Conservative government, this Conservative Prime Minister, will act now to stop the boats. The problem just gets worse with every new gimmick. We've got some snow across parts of southern England, South Wales, the Midlands, East Anglia, for example. Yes, that's right. His dad.
2: So those are some of the stories from the past week. But what do my guests think mattered most? Let's start with long story short. In a single sentence, Liz, what's your story?
0: You've heard of Nepo babies. Here come the Nepo parents. Mark?
3: Ooze. That's good news. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Bit creepy. Claudia?
1: Another Met Police apology.
2: Right. OK, so let's take a look at those stories in more detail. First of all, Liz... What's your story, and most important, why should it be top of the running order?
0: Well, a journalist called Lara Spirit, formerly of this parish, used to work at Tortoise, revealed in the Times, I think it was on Monday, that disgraced former Prime Minister Boris Johnson's resignation on list may include a knighthood for his dad, Stanley Henn's Nepo parent. Um, and now you could argue that this is the biggest non-news story ever. You know, Boris Johnson in poor judgment, cronyistic, uh, you know, cronyism, uh, call is not a headline um, and even talking about it just gives you more oxygen. I have got some sympathy with that perspective. However, I do think taking the eye roll and move on view makes us complicit because this sort of thing really does matter. I think it's a disgrace to everyone who has been awarded and earned their honour. I'm not the only one that has that view. It's been con- completely outrageous by uh, leader Keir Starmer, former Brexit Secretary David Davis called it ridiculous and a corrosive move. Um, and of course, we should not be surprised... Johnson's given a knighthood to Sir Gavin Williamson, a life peerage to Evgeny Lebedev, made his brother Joe a life peer. So he's kind of got form for dishing these things out. Um, And there were even unsubstantiated, I should say, whispers in early February that his wife Carrie was at one point uh, rumoured to be on that list too. Um, I do think this story is important more than just the sort of tittle-tattle aspect of it, because... What has happened to the way that the public feel about people in power operating in this country over the last, particularly I would say eight or so years ish, um I think is really, really, really awful (laughs) and it really matters that we have a government that people believe in and can trust it really matters that we have a system of organising ourselves as a country and governing ourselves as a country that has uh, standards and decency and objectivity and all of those things that I think Objectively, we should uh, protect and believe in. And whatever you say about the honour system per se, whether it's a nonsense or not, at the moment that's the system that we have. And so, to have guardrails in place that that function um, to prevent it being abused in the way that, uh, if if uh, Stanley Johnson does indeed receive a knighthood, I, I would believe that would be an abuse of the system. I think it really matters.
2: I did. Like you at the beginning, kind of struggled to care a bit. And, you know, really. Uh, also, isn't it? Isn't it a bit pathetic? I mean, if you're Stanley Johnson, I mean, why does he want a knighthood from his from his son? I mean, isn't it kind of like the worst, <laughs> you know, the worst way
3: possible to get?
0: Slightly damning with faint praise, a little bit. I guess I think there's an interesting element of this too, because. Sunak's in a difficult position now. He had a really good week, I think, last week with the Windsor Framework. It seemed like, you know, here comes a sensible person, grown-up approach, doing difficult things, a little bit like politics as was. And then now, all that dirty, nasty, Johnsonian mess sticks to him. And he's got a bind because you might say he could use... Johnson's desire to give his dad a little treat with the sir title as a bargaining chip to help him curry favour with parts of the party that might not be so friendly towards him at the moment but that's not going to play well in other big and important constituencies who kind of think come on Rishi this is something that you can take a view and I think you might know better than me about this I think it would be an unprecedented move, though, for a, for an incumbent Prime Minister to block somebody from one of the outgoing resignation honours lists. I haven't been able to verify that. Do you know if anyone's ever done it before?
2: Well, I do remember um, in 2010, it was actually not honours, it was elevation to the Lords. Ed Miliband very controversially refused to um, confirm
3: yeah. a bunch
2: of people who Gordon Brown was putting forward yeah. to go into the Lords. They'd been told, and then suddenly they were... They were untold. Of course, controversies about these lists. I mean, if yeah. you think back to the Lavender List yes. when Wilson stood down in uh, 1976, but this is on a bigger scale than we've seen you know, in recent decades. Why do prime ministers get to put a whole bunch of their mates into the Lords or to get honours? when they've stopped doing the job.
0: It's a a sort of quirk of the system and, as you say, there's a sort of list as long as your arm of people who've fallen foul of the fact that there are no... There's no effective... um, I used the phrase guardrails before. You know, the Cabinet Office Honours Committee does have some responsibility for what it calls probity and propriety checks. They kind of go down the list. They sort of check it against how much money are these people given to the party and those sorts of things. I think also now
2: the Lords... The, the commission in the Lords can decide whether not to allow the nominees to go into the House of Lords to yeah. go forward and really unusually in this list there's a whole bunch of sitting MPs who are being nominated to be Lords While if they're, they're nominated still... they become a Lord at that moment, that's how the system works you become a Lord when you are nominated really? but they're also sitting MPs and actually I think that is you know, yeah. a legal problem so yeah. Boris Johnson, what can I say he seems to be playing fast and loose with the law. Does so, that I mean,
0: you? It's so—I st- mean, it's staggering, really, isn't it? it? Really is.
2: So,
3: Mark, what do you think? I mean, importantly, Mark, should it be the top story? Mm, I think it's an ongoing story, so I don't know if that means it warrants the top spot. But I think the thing uh, there's. Th- th- the thing that struck me is maybe this is all a massive bluff and actually what Boris really wants is massive reform in the House of Lords and the way to do it is to completely show up the system for the complete basket case that it is. But that might be the, the outcome. I mean, who Whether knows? Whether it's Boris's intention, that would be a story. <laughs> uh, Claudia?
1: Um, I think it's obviously really important and to me it it's just... It makes me so angry with the way we do things in this country sometimes. It's ridiculous that you can have a, a, like a former prime minister put up this list of people that have helped him and that will further them in their careers, the people that he's related to. And I think, I know, side point, but I found the interview with Rachel Johnson about her brother nominating her dad with her other brother already in the House of Lords.
2: Nominated by her brother. Nominated
1: too. by her brother, exactly. That itself is just, it's a parody of our kind of political and yeah, system and really the think- media, isn't it? But I guess my, my, my small reservation about it in terms of being the the leading story of the week is just to agree with Mark, I think editorially it's a story which hasn't quite happened yet. So it's a, it's a flicker of something that might happen in the future. It's... Um, a great scoop from, from Lara um, but to me it feels like something which is is going to be in the future and we have to look and see whether it actually happens or not
2: the big story is Sunak says no mm. that's yeah. the big story yeah, yeah. but actually he's more likely to say no if we put it top
1: true very true how, how likely do you think it is for him to do that
2: uh, I think that he will um, be very focused on the privileges committee investigation yeah. <laughs> and whether that's going to lead to a suspension and a by-election. And he will think that is the main game in town for dealing with the Boris Johnson problem. And I think, will he think it's worth spending lots of political capital on this? Maybe not.
3: Mm-hmm. Michelle Donovan said there was bigger fish to fry when she was asked about it. I think she, yeah. she
2: exactly, out of the frying pan. Very good. So thank you very much indeed to, 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 to Liz. Has that been enough to keep you in pole position?
0: My God, Ed's really dialing up the tension. I'm
2: not used to this.
0: The
1: room's just been slightly It's,
2: It's, I mean, it's what everybody wants to know. Right, moving on, Mark. Tell us about your story and in particular, why you think this is going to trump Boris Johnson giving honours to his dad.
3: Yeah, so my story is good news. I I have good news for the ooze, which is a river... In Lewes. Lewis. 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 Lewis or Lewes? I always said Lewes. Is it Lewis? Is this the Lewis near Brighton? This is the Lewis near Brighton. It's Lewis. It's Lewis. Fine. Um, This is, on the face of it, quite a small story, but it has huge significance. Lewis Council, Lewis District Council, has just passed a motion recognising the rights of the ooze and this is the first step um towards uh, sort of granting beginnings of like legal personhood to a river in the uk it's never happened before and the idea of legal personhood sort of in general terms means that um once a river or a body of nature has it it can sue which means a river's legal guardian can go to court and sue the people that pollute it damage it um i mean theoretically it means the river can also be sued but I've, that that's not happened yet, and the reason this is significant locally down in Lewis is they uh, it was one of the places where the dirty water campaign went round putting up blue plaques on the the the, the 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 outside the houses and offices of politicians that voted to continue dumping sewage into rivers, and sewage is a problem. Dumping of sewage is is a problem uh, in the ooze, and this. It, the the, situa- the water situation in the UK is pretty grim, um, and if we can if, if we can head down this path of granting rivers kind of legal personhood and status where they have greater protection and greater legal agency to go after the people that are polluting them, we can start to combat the problem that we face, which is you know every single one of the rivers in the UK has failed to meet chemical standards, and for this to happen in the UK is important because um, not many other places have done it. It started off in Ecuador about, I think, five or six years ago. Bolivia followed suit. Mexico's done it. New Zealand has similar things. Australia's just done it with the Yarra River. So, yeah, I think that this is an important story because it's about the future of of, of water in the UK and the health of our rivers. Fine. I'm being...
2: I'm holding back my temptation to dive into the more philosophy and jurisprudence of whether or not an inanimate object can have personhood or yep. uh, rights. You know, does a does a log have a right not to be burned or a chair not to be sat on? Put that to one side. Yep. I think I think that that may in the end be a um
3: a blind alley you say it could get legal protection well so it's the first step basically so a number of councils in the past have tried to pass this first motion where they'll say okay let's let's put together what a bill of rights for a river might look like and they haven't got that far this is the first time that a council has gone okay let's take it to the next step
2: and as i understand it there is there is a global universal declaration of river rights and this is what they are seeking to become part of but is there Any legal standing for this declaration in UK law, if Lewis passes, does that actually give any legal rights to either the river or the Guardian? Or is this a a notion?
3: Well, so in Ecuador, where they've had this now for a while, they've held more than three dozen lawsuits in the name of nature, which have sort of brought the fight right back to the the, the the doorstep of the companies that are polluting. Ecuador's and fine, but I mean, you know, we're here. Yeah, but Ecuador are the people that have introduced it already. No, so- but I'm just saying, d- does the UK Parliament mm.
2: or the UK legal system have any obligation to recognise
3: the rights of a river on the basis of a motion passed by Lewis District Council? So... So it's the motion passed by Lewis District Council doesn't give the river the rights. What will happen is the, the motion that's just been passed by the council is to draw up that Bill of Rights and the discussion around what sort of effect that has legally is kind of ongoing at the moment. So Fergal
2: Sharkey has been doing great campaigns yep. about water quality, yep. putting huge pressure on the Environment Agency mm-hmm. to be more effective in implementing the UK Parliament's legal framework yep. for water standards. If the river ooze has from Lewis District Council, yep. this declaration. Mm-hmm. Is that something which would have any salience in a UK court if Fergal Sharkey or you or me judicially review the Environment Agency to get them to clean up the mess? Yeah,
3: not yet. Right. but And how would that happen? It's an inf- well, so that's that comes after that. So they draw up this bill of rights. And then the next step is that strengthens the argument to kind of do the whole... Recon- legal in, recognition in the of UK, personhood in, the UK in the UK Fine. Yeah. so okay. it's an important it's not the grant we're of legal quite an error. early stage yeah but we've never managed to get to this stage before and previous attempts have failed and six or seven other countries in the rest of the world are miles ahead of us ahead of us in this already and seeing the results from it uh, Liz what do you think
0: I think this is an interesting debate I only understood about half of it so <laughs> <said someone laughs> out. I think <laughs> I th- I I I I think I'm with Ed in that. I'm I'm s- somewhat cynical about the practical applicability of rights and responsibilities mm-hmm. to something that is inanimate. I I I think that's hard in in practical terms. And I think that but I am very interested in the Fergal Sharky, That exactly. whole river chat seems to have really significantly upped the ante in the last couple Absolutely. of years. There's lots and lots of really good and important work happening, but there. Oh, so I'm I'm kind of more interested in rather than newfangled, sort of slightly magical thinking legal work, which is how this feels to me at Lewis. I'm interested in the sort of failure of the existing structures, which speak to responsibilities of corporations and water companies, responsibility of local councils. All of that stuff obviously isn't quite working somehow. So if we really want to make a difference quickly, I'd be more inclined to look at that stuff than trying to confect something new and that seems slightly, like I yeah, say, magic. Yeah, I mean,
3: supporters p- support of it would say that having something like a river recognised as a legal entity, yes, it's a weaker step than full-on legal personhood, but it has potential to kind of change the way that that people and society relate to that river. Who gets river.
0: to be the guardian of the river?
3: So, a trust, potentially. Do you get a cloak? I mean... Or
1: maybe a hat,
3: a crown. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, presumably, presumably the the the
2: the the land. I actually don't know the answer to this. My presumption is it's the crown. Um, Claudia.
1: Well, I don't know huge amounts about moral philosophy or jurisprudence, um, but I do remember a previous episode of this podcast where Mark said, and I quote, about a different story. I can't pretend I care that much about the countryside, it seems too remote.
2: (laughs) Um, So
1: what I would say is-
2: It's Damascene then today, is it? No,
1: no, if this story has the power to change your mind and turn you into an eco-warrior that will fight for the rights and the personhood of a river, Mm -hmm. and um, I would say, fight quite strongly (laughs) about the rights of the story, that's surely a good thing if it's getting people involved and engaged. um, in the way that they relate to the land and relate to the world around them. I would say that I'm not necessarily convinced, that it's the answer to all of our problems with, um, and and it seems to be kind of like, as you say, the first step Mm -hmm. in a much bigger fight. And it's kind of one of those things, which is, this thing has started and might happen in the future.
0: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a, it's a t-shirt
1: PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Let's go to
2: our third story and see whether this can um, knock uh, Mark and Liz's stories off the top. Claudia, what's your story? Why should it lead the news?
1: So earlier this week, Wayne Cousins, uh, the serving police officer who was convicted of murdering Sarah Everard last year, he was sentenced to 90 months in prison for three cases of indecent exposure. Um, All three of those cases had been previously reported to the police, but nothing happened about them. One of those um, cases, one of those incidents took place just a few days before he murdered Sarah Everard. And in that case, that instance, um, police were actually given his car registration plate, his credit card details, um, which obviously included his name, um, but nothing happened. The woman who reported it was only contacted after Sarah died. Um, after sarah was murdered i should say um the judge in that case went as far as saying that the police's failure to investigate the these reports of indecent exposure may have emboldened cousins to go on to murder sarah everard um and then to kind of add to this bigger picture story after the trial ended the iopc released a series of racist sexist whatsapp messages that cousins had sent that were part of this WhatsApp group um, and that information had been held back because of reporting restrictions and those messages again show that his fellow officers knew what he was like what he was saying and and did nothing um, about it Um, and what I would say is that it's so easy to be desensitized with stories like this and I admit that I am guilty of that I think when I first saw this story I almost dismissed it as another met police story and that's why i mentioned that at the beginning another met police apology because you you, it's so tiring to hear these stories but the more i read about it and the more i realize that that is just we can't do that we have to look these things in the eye just because they are uncomfortable or tiring You, you kind of have to keep looking at them um and i think this one in particular brings together so many different threads um of what is wrong with our policing system but also how we deal with um things like indecent exposure violence against women and girls and also how we report on the police and how the police allow us to report on them
2: i mean this was all things which happened three years ago Mm. so you know devil's advocate from a news point of view is this news
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh, particularly with the WhatsApp group, we've not been able to talk about it properly until the, this trial happened. And I think the point about, um, I mean, so many criminal cases happened years ago and they they make news when you're able to talk about them and someone has been convicted. And that is the moment for victims. But I think particularly in, in this instance, it's an opportunity to talk about indecent exposure, actually. And I'm, I'm really trying to avoid the word flashing, because I think when we... we talk about flashing it ends up being kind of like a punchline or you think of like a man in a long coat and it and it is this kind of like wink wink nudge nudge thing and actually flashing is like a terrifying threatening thing that is generally about power and as we know quite often can escalate and lead to other crimes but you know this is not rare there's the idea that these these cases for cousins weren't followed up 600 out of 10,000 um indecent exposure cases logged by police in 2020 reached court 600 out of 10,000 and that's partly because you know as I say it's something societally we don't necessarily see as that important but it's something that's not taken seriously by the police and and that leads to this cycle of women then not reporting it and it, it not being kind of yeah taken seriously by the police and I think you know we just know that trust in the police from everyone is at an all-time low but i think when you take it in combination you take the this kind of whatsapp group which the the kind of texts are yeah racist sexist they're joking about sexual assault they're joking about domestic abuse all the other whatsapp groups that we've, we've probably all read the messages from the the sentencing of david carrick um last month who was also the the met police officer who was um sentenced for a whole slew of different sexual assault cases it's absolutely no surprise that, that people have no faith in the police, but I also think, you know, it just reveals how broken the system is for for not just women but for everyone.
2: See, I thought you were going to go to somewhere different on that about the because I think actually since twenty twenty we've learned a lot more, and that uh, in the beginning with the Sarah Everard uh, kind of the the, the, the uh, terrible murder in in the first instance you know was this a a freak one-off event you then see in the case of David Carrick mm. that actually David Carrick had been doing this what he was doing raping and manipulating people for for you know for years and regularly during that time it came to the police's attention and they then didn't act yes. and now we know in this case with cousins he was actually under investigation they weren't getting on with it when these events occurred so actually the thing here in those um is that the scale mm. of it but also the fact that the police have not been taking seriously allegations against serving police officers i think is um is is is, is new in recent months on a bigger scale than any of us thought and that we understood at the time of the Everard murder because the Carrick you know, and now this story reveals the police just weren't acting when things were coming in front of them that's the new thing here
1: I'm not sure I agree actually I think we knew that and I think the Centre for Women's Justice had already proved before before 2020 they had done huge amounts of work on actually the, the kind of um, uh, actions of police officers I think right. the scale has become much more obvious as you say because people are reporting and obviously because the Met Police is um having to act, but I don't necessarily. I think I don't necessarily think this is new about, information. I was, it's I, more I was more thinking
2: about our, our, you know, our, our listeners and viewers, whether actually they are suddenly realizing that this is actually more systemic, on a bigger scale than most people had realized before. And that's right
1: yeah probably probably more system I'm, bigger... I'm, I'm
2: trying to get to the top of the news here you see i'm trying to think if you say we've known this all for years well fine let's write a column but actually the question here is is it you know what what makes it the top of the news
0: liz this is difficult to we can't solve it in the stream. I can't, if we could that would be a really that would be the world's best ever podcast um I think I say a couple of things. If you are somebody, perhaps like Claudia is and like I am, who has been in and around this type of investigative work and reporting for years, we do forget that, to your point about the wider public, the idea that serving police officers could be known to be violent and dangerous, abusive men rapists and murderers you know the really bad kind <laughs> um and that their colleagues would know that and not do anything about it i think that and that that and that there is a system that operates not just in the mayor it's not just the mayor it's police forces you know are, are wider than that um that protects those men i think that is really that that is new it's a thing to it's a really Difficult thing to come to terms with as an ordinary person, whether you're a woman or a man. And what the women's sector, if I can call it that, has really struggled with because people don't want to believe it is true, is convincing people that it is true. And so in the in the coverage of this story i think we have to try and do both of those things to to try and convince people that this happens it happens on a systemic not a one-off basis we're not talking about bad apples to explain how that system works and then to try to point to ways that that system could be unraveled or improved that's one thing and then another thing a smaller a smaller thing perhaps Looking up something else completely unrelated this week, I came across this story um, in Lancashire Live website um, and the headline just caught my eye. Uh, more than 160 violent and suspects arrested as police target domestic abuse. It was an operation run through February by the Lancashire Constabulary. It was called Operation Reckoning, where they had decided that they were really, really going to go out of their way to find... Uh, it actually says suspects, so perhaps it was men and women, I don't know, but you would assume majority men, men who had um, been making threats to kill, assault and uh, uh, harassment offences. And they went out through February really, really focused on and arrested 160 people. And I think the other thing that perhaps more generally we might fall into is is the danger of saying this stuff is really hard it's really hard to take it serious it's really hard to make a difference and when you read stories like that it isn't really hard mm. it's perhaps not as hard as, you, as, as, as we can make out if you just choose to care you can go out and you can make people who would otherwise think they can act with impunity face the, face the force of the law as the Lancashire Constabulary operation has shown and I think a bit more balance in the way that we report these things from museums like ours might really help people you know come to terms with the, the scale of the problem but that is a fixable problem True.
3: Mark? Um, it's interesting because I, I heard Mark Rowley on the radio. It must have been a couple of months ago now. And I remember him saying, I, I can replay it in my ears, when he was like, I've got officers in the force that I would like to get rid of and I can't. I presume it's federation and, 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 and rules and things like that. Um, so, I, And I was struck at the time that I didn't see that anywhere else. And I came into the office and I spoke to my colleague, who I sit next to, Patricia, and and. No, no one else had heard it, and and then I start. I, I forgot about it eventually, but so I was surprised that media didn't pick up on that. And in the same interview, he 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 talked about how um, I think the Met they they were going to go after. They were using data data to kind of identify who the thousand most potentially dangerous men violent men were going to be and they were going to focus attention on that and then he went into this thing that in order to do that he was changing the shape of the police force he didn't actually need data scientists who could also throw drunks out of a pub on a friday night he just needed data scientists who could sit and look at figures reporting trends and they needed to be data sharing across different forces and this kind of thing and i thought all of this sounds brilliant and I haven't seen it anywhere else and I haven't seen it and I feel like there's a really good story in there I'm not saying it's a puff piece for, for Mark Rowley Mark and the Met but I do think to your point about solutions I think there are some solutions out there and we're just not hearing them mm.
2: Thank you for your stories uh, in a moment we're going to have to make a decision about the running order before we do I want to know which one you would have picked as the lead story if you could choose you can't it's my choice but if you could choose and you can't choose your own so let's go uh, I
1: I would probably go for Liz and the honour system. I think it is one of those stories that is revealing of the kind of problems and difficulties within our current political system and actually looking at how people, you know, trust our politicians and what they're doing with that trust is really important for us as a newsroom and for kind of newsrooms all over the country.
3: Very good, Mark. Uh, I'm gonna go with, I think I'm gonna go with Claudia's story. Yeah, the Wayne Cousins story, I think, just because it's a gateway to so much bigger sort of untold stuff around the Met, Police. Yeah, Liz.
0: I choose Wayne Cousins story too, because I think in the Mark Rivers pitch, we're just too far out from anything material to have happened. And even if it does or did, I'm not convinced that anything When
3: you're up changes. to your waste in sewage <laughs> and chemicals, don't crying to me. Um,
0: but yeah, I think, I think the, 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 the more if we can find a way to report this Met story expansively and um, I don't want to say positively, but with, with some kind of pathway out, then I think that's an important thing for New to do.
2: So uh, going in the order we discussed them, I think, first of all, Lizard's is obviously a great story. Boris Johnson wants to appoint his dad. <laughs> um, I think it's still a bit early, as we discussed, because what's Rishi Sunak going to do? Is it going to lead to reforms of the system? Is it actually going to, to happen? But everybody will be really interested and really appalled. It's a great story. Um, Mark's story is a, a bit more early stage. It could happen. It could happen, but what is it? what is it which could happen? Um, Is giving rights to an inanimate object really the right way to protect them? But actually, what are we going to do to protect our rivers and to challenge the Environment Agency and make sure that we um, take action, in this case, around water quality, but more widely on climate change? And we all got animated and discussed it. I actually think it's a great story, Um, even if it's kind of early stage. I think, though, Claudia's story is hugely important. And I actually think for the reasons which we talked about, which is, you know, it's one thing to say, as Liz said, there was a bad apple. I can't believe it happened. It's another thing to say it's turned out people acted in a violent way while police officers and it wasn't taken seriously. In this case, he had been reported for exposing himself to the police It was being investigated and simultaneously he was in uniform acting as a police officer at the time he then committed a crime. It's totally shocking. Any other job you'd be out the door. Can you imagine being a teacher? You'd be suspended pending the investigation. something deeply wrong in the way in which the police thinks about investigating its own. And I think that is very current because I think that what happened with Carrick is the scale of it is is bigger and we know it's happening across the country now and it is a deep cultural problem and in the end a police force which acts by consent for the people of the people only works if there's consent and trust and you know as claudia says in her view it may be impossible to rebuild that trust but if you want to have effective policing you've got to rebuild that trust and i think this story Uh, absolutely reveals new things about the extent to which the police were doing stuff, which undermines trust. So for me, there's no doubt right now in newsworthy terms, as well as what it does for the future debate, and also, I hope, empowers the reformers to get on with it. I have no doubt that um, the cousin story is the most important story. Actually, what I'm gonna do is put Ooze second, because I think Ooze is a great talking point We'll get loads of engagement. The readers, listeners and viewers will love it. And um Liz, you know, I think your story could lead, could lead the news. Not this week. So I'm going Claudia first, Mark second, Liz third. That's it for the news meeting this week. Thanks to Liz, to Mark, to Claudia for bringing the stories. All of you for listening. Next week, Adam Bolton is going to be back in the editor's chair, veteran journalist, Sky News political editor for 25 years, again sitting in for James. Join him next Friday for the news meeting and in the meantime, please rate and review the show on whatever podcast app you use. It really helps other people to find it. See you again.